But Kelly, I hear you are sick as well. Uh, yeah, everyone's sick. It's like the, we're calling it the outspoken flu. I also forgot my microphone because the holidays and craziness and all of that. So. Right. So yeah, we do have the, we, we do all have the outspoken flu. Anyone at home who was at the outspoken summit, I'm really sorry. It's probably our fault um, if you're sick. But yeah, so this is a this is our way of apologizing for our terrible sound this week because we both have raspy voices and we only have one microphone. Uh, but I hear that didn't let you that didn't stop you from your box competition. However, well, well I was on a team, Kelly, <coughs> so I had to plow ahead. Yeah. So this weekend I had my third CrossFit competition. So fun. And you remember how you told me that Is you... Is that all you're going to tell us about your box? You no, don't, you don't want to share the details? I have some details. But I wanted to say to you first, remember how you... I remember you saying one time you really wanted to compete like in a big stadium? Yes. Yeah. So this was like, this was the big stadium. The other two competitions, like one was in a stadium, but it was in an outdoor stadium. So there was like a large... It wasn't as... It was kind of anticlimactic on the stadium front. And then the other one was just in like a local box. So this third one, we, I was like, we were in a legit stadium with like the floor that's normally, I guess, an ice rink because I live in Canada was like set up just for like each of the events. So after the event, they'd switch it over to the next setup or whatever. Um, Wow. So yeah, it was fun. Did you feel super important and special and really good at box competitions? No, no, no. We're, (laughs) we're none of those things. We're in the scaled category, right? So it's definitely like no one's there to watch us. But what, what I love about it, and I feel like there's a reason why CrossFit suits me, is like you're in a team, first of all, team of three, which is a complete departure from triathlon. And I love that, that aspect of it. You get to like, you basically like you order matching shirts for your team, you wear them, you come up with a fun name, you go in, you like work hard for, I don't know, somewhere between four and 15 minutes, two to three times a day, right? You just like go in, go all out with your teammates. And that's just all amounts to really bloody fun. So yeah, it was awesome. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you had fun. I did. Thank you. I'm sorry that you're not having fun. Okay, coming up on the show, what does a true off-season look like? What does it mean to be a healthy female endurance athlete? Funny stories of DNFing Ironman and NBC's Kona coverage is coming up this weekend. Sarah, I hear they have noon endurance in Canada now. Oh, Canada, baby, finally. I use the sport tabs, the basic tabs at CrossFit. Well, I use the Noon Endurance. Citrus Mango is the way to go. And now you can try that too in, you know, up north. Up here in Canada. You can order any of these or the rest tabs to help you sleep or the immunity tabs to fight off those bugs. And you can do that by using the code IRONWOMEN. I'm not saying that to you, Kelly. I'm saying this to the people at home. (laughs) The code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. And go check out their new community of women doing cool stuff at New Ness, uh, their TV channel on YouTube. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. Okay, so I guess since you're a CrossFitter now, you never have an off-season. CrossFit is life. But 
for most triathletes, we're getting into the off season. We're close. Even I'm only like a week away now. And what does that look like, Sarah? What should people do in their off season? Should they, should they do a box competition? Should they, I feel like people start coming up with crazy plans. They're like, I'm going to do an ultra race during my off season. That's what, or I'm going to do, I'm going to cross country ski or, and then you're like, I don't know. Is that, is that count as an off season? It kind of feels like not an off season. I don't know. Yeah. That kind of feels more like the starting up again part. So like, I think, I think for me, what would define an off season or a successful off season is when you start to feel mentally ready to train again. So like, again, (laughs) you'll be shocked to learn that I'm prioritizing the mental aspects, but I think like the mental and the physical go together. Right. So, you know, you rest as much as you need to rest to feel motivated to do what you need to do. And then, and then your body will follow. And so some, for some people that will take a complete rest and for other people, it just takes a change of pace or a change of activity. And for some people, that's like a change of activity for a couple months. Like those are the people who do your cross country skiing or whatever. Um, and then for other people, it just takes, you know, a week off and then they start again. So, yeah, I've usually been a pretty hardcore, like, Hey, I'm going to disappear for three or four weeks. Like, don't look at my, like, I'm not going to record a training log. Don't ask me questions. I'll be back. And that's it. Right. And I like disappear. And I'm like, usually a pretty hardcore, like a week or so of nothing, another week or two of just like whatever you, you know, whatever pops into your head, um, which is sometimes like really random shit. That's usually when CrossFit pops into my head, which is weird. And we used to have a saying, Sarah, about like very hardcore off seasoning. This was like the saying in our household. You got to hit bottom. You got to hit bottom to make it to the top. So so we used to call it bottoming out. You have to bottom out. Like you have to be like I was standing at a party one time during December, like holiday party eating. Oh, no, this is on my way to a party. Sorry. I was eating microwave cookie dough by the spoonful out of a bowl on my way to a party. And I was like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, God. All right, I'm ready to trade again. <laughs> that was my moment. <laughs> that's hilarious. I feel like that's like an yeah. extreme version of off seasoning. Like your yeah, your whatever. way is like the yeah the extreme off seasoner. I for me honestly like it was it's it was a little more balanced. Like when I used to train properly for triathlon, I really struggled to take days completely off. But I could definitely have days where all I did was a 30 minute jog or a 45 minute like spin on a cross bike or something like that. So I would go down to that level and then build like for one week, say, and then kind of build back in. And I would always like keep like in touch with my swimming, if that makes sense. So if I was going to take time off anything, it would be biking or running. But definitely just because I wasn't a swimmer growing up. So like as soon as I felt like exercising again, swimming would probably be the first thing I would do. So, yeah, I was like the opposite of you. This is what I'm saying. I was the opposite (laughs) of you. I was like not the hardcore off seasoner. I was like a gentle, gentle, a gentle. Off-seasoner. I do think too many people though aren't hardcore enough about their resting. And also, I think True. like everyone, like around here, everyone goes on group rides and calls it base miles. And then they do, then they go on group rides in the spring and call it training. And it's the same fucking thing. They're just like calling it something different. Right. So they, if you do the same workout you would have done anyway, and you call it off season, that actually doesn't do anything. FYI. Like that's not right. useful. That's not and I don't know how many times I've been at races that were other people's final race of the year that like, in theory, this was their peak and they were, and they were all like, oh yeah, we're going to like go out after and have a bunch of ice cream or something. And I would go with them and they would have like this tiny little scoop and then they'd be like, oh, I'm crazy. And you're like, guys, <laughs> you need to, you need to try harder at this. 
FYI. You need to off season better. Yeah, I think like, yeah, definitely I I take that point. And I think I'm someone like I'm an athlete who never has trouble going easy, you know? So like I I know there are people who struggle with that, right? Who or who just like they're easy is never easier. They don't even understand what that is. But like as an athlete, even during the season, like when it's time to go easy, like I got no problem with easy. True, true, Um, true. I also, you know what I find is like in my new life now as like a media mogul. As a CrossFitter. As a CrossFitter slash media mogul. I, I like, I still live my life in the same pattern as, as, as if I was a pro athlete because it's such a habit. So strangely like doing, so all the coverage we did in Kona, right? That was really intense. I came off of Kona. We got ready for the summit. It was, these were my two peak races were Kona and the summit. We got ready for the outspoken summit. We executed the summit. You know, I came home. I immediately got sick. And now I'm in the off season hard. So okay, good. That's my life. So you're going to rest back up and get ready again for your, for your next competition. For my media moguling. Yes. Exactly. Which see, and that brings us to our next topic, Sarah, what does healthy competition and being a healthy athlete look like? Okay. So here's the thing. Obviously, in the last few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about the problems in female sports, right? The, the system being set up to, to kind of like screw female athletes. That sounds terrible. But there's been a lot of talk about eating disorders, about unhealthy coaching, about like cycles of abuse and depression and cutting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the Mary Kane mm-hmm. discussion, there's just been all this talk about it. And it was starting yes. to feel like I was not the only person who was starting to feel like holy shit, am I the only one who didn't have an eating disorder? You know, is everybody struggling with this? And it raised, I think, for a lot of people, you know, is it even, is it possible to be a healthy female athlete? What does that look like? Or what is a, what is an example we can hold up for high school girls as like be healthy competition? You know, you, you don't have to, to go through all of the, the terrible cycle of abuse and depression. Yeah. You know, okay. Before we answer that question directly, I was just, it just made me think that around my experience as an athlete, because I didn't have eating disorder, right. But I did have undiagnosed celiac and we've talked about this a lot. Um, And I, I also had a coach who at the time did not believe that I like when, so when, so I had things happening metabolically, like my, my, my system wasn't working properly. Right. So I gained weight at weird times. I couldn't lose weight. I'd lose a lot of weight at certain times unrelated to my food intake. Okay. And strangely, like I, when I look back on this, he assumed that I had an eating disorder mm. and I couldn't unconvince him or not necessarily an eating disorder, but he assumed that I was like sneaking the ice cream and the chocolate kind of thing. And which like, I don't think eating disorder would be the right, but it, like disordered that I had some disordered eating right, right, happening. Right. But then, so like that was his assumption about me as female athlete, because clearly he'd seen a lot of that in his time. But then because of that, we didn't have a proper diagnosis for my celiac for a really long time. So I I don't know. It just affected me in the opposite way. You know what? That that also, okay. Similar happened to me. My boss one time thought that my boyfriend was beating me because I got hit in the face during like a race or so. And I had a black eye and I was like, oh yeah, no, Mm -hmm. I got hit during a swim, like during laughs, like a guy you know, smacked me in the face with his hand. And she was like, sure, Kelly, swimming. <laughs> and so and I like could not convince her because like to her, the only explanation she could have for why you would have a black eye and a weird explanation was that your like boyfriend was beating up on you. So I feel like it's like a similar, it's a similar story. It's like a little more bizarre. But my point here is like, I feel like sometimes we so have these 
images in our head that we can't even conceive mm-hmm. of not being mm. that thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that goes for like, that goes for women and men and coaches. And right. like, I think even the way we see our fellow competitors will default to like, if someone looks really thin, will default to eating disorder when maybe they just have, they're naturally thin. So like we all have to check ourselves, right? Because it's possible. It is, there are healthy female athletes out there. Yeah, they exist. Um, one of those healthy female athletes is clearly Lindsay Corbin. Okay. But when you look at like what affects someone's experience as an athlete or, you know, in high school is a lot of times we're talking about high school athletes or on a squad. I've had good coaches and I've had bad coaches and that wasn't always what determined whether the vibe on the team was good or bad. A lot of times when I was, you know, sitting in my car crying and like, didn't want to go to practice, it had more to do with the other girls than with the coach. And so I'm wondering what creates a healthier and unhealthy culture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thought. Yeah. Interesting question. Don't be a bitch would be actually step number one. Don't be a bitch. Is that, what you, <laughs> is that your suggestion? Yeah. Um, yeah. All the best suggestions. Yeah. It's interesting because I've never been part of a healthy environment squad. Cause I've only been on oh, one squad. Nice. Good. That sounds And healthy. it was like a little <laughs> bit healthy, but mostly unhealthy. A lot of like the coach watching what you're eating, um, and that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to think of like what that healthy environment, like it certainly would take you'd take the focus off. I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Well, what made it unhealthy? I guess is the question, right? Cause was it obviously the coaches set the tone, but the coaches aren't necessarily, even sometimes if they're not the ones saying you need to lose weight or you girls need to whatever, you know, if they're not the ones setting you against each other, but still the girls are setting themselves against each other, then that creates an ba- unhealthy environment, right? Like if, if everyone's talking about each other behind each other's backs, then that's, that, those were the experiences I had that were really bad. When everybody was talking about each other and there was all this drama between people, it eroded the confidence of each of everyone. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, that, that the leader sets the tone. So the coach sets the tone and okay. the senior members of the team set the tone or the people who have, like, you know, if you have a, a squad where a couple people have been to the Olympics, something like that, then those people would, would be in leadership um, and need to take responsibility there for setting the tone for their squad. All right, so we're going to blame each other is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting question. Anyway, I'm not, obviously, it's not to say that there aren't systemic issues that need to be addressed. I just also wanted to think about what the flip side of the unhealthy systems looks like, like what makes a healthy system. Because those exist For sure. Too, you know, what, so what can we replicate? Yeah, I think like, okay, I, sorry, my brain's working slow this week, as, as it is so many weeks, but just for our audience, because I'm sick. But I, I think that the, if we keep the focus on performance, then that would be a, a good starting point, right? So, you know, you're focusing on whether, like on performance and on overall happy, like health, happiness, th- and those kinds of like markers. And this could just completely off appearance or like, you know, allow a woman's body to be what it is when she's running her fastest or, or biking her fastest or whatever. That was distinctly inarticulate. Okay. Solve that. We fixed that. Yeah. We fixed it. Solved. Everyone should listen to us. Done. Hashtag fix girl sport. (laughs) Done. Wait, we should change it to fix. Fix. Hashtag fix girl sport. All right. Well, speaking of healthy competition, uh, Ironman Arizona was this past week and Ironman Cosmo was too, because 
there is no off season anymore. The season never ends. It just begins again. And I was watching Arizona because it was a pro women's race. And by watching, I mean that I couldn't see anything or follow it at all because Iron Man's new site sucks <laughs> balls. And literally, when I went online to like look up the tracking and like look at results, I like, oh, they I, like were, couldn't. Right? They were they, like, hidden in a secret thing. location. I found them. Yeah, I literally, yeah, I went on Twitter and was like, does anyone know where to find this? And uh, Torsten. Yeah, you had link, to press so. a button in, on their site that said something like, are you a competitor or something at Iron Man? I was like, it was yeah. something that was not clear that it was going to be like the tracker or the, or the coverage. And then, then you got through to it. it. Yeah. It was pretty funny. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like, guys, I don't want to download your app onto my computer. I just want to see the results anyway. Uh, but it was a women's pro race and like Meredith was racing and Sarah Crowley and Heather Jackson. And it was very good. And then afterwards I was like, wait, what happened to Lindsay Corbett? Like, where did, where did she go? I thought she was racing. And then I saw her post on Instagram, like a couple days later, a picture of her standing in her kit in in and out. And apparently she walked off of the course at mile three and into an in and out. That is amazing. So, <laughs> and, and, and it was documented uh, with a photographer. Um, <laughs> so here's my question, Sarah. Have you ever, what is your craziest? Have you done anything? What is your worst DNF story? Okay, I, should, I, I have a couple. Um, I have a lot of DNF stories, FYI. I have a couple of like really okay. fun, like medical emergency ones, you know, like at <laughs> Ironman Canada, I was like running, I had like run my way into third place and I had gone really hard to do it. And I knew that I was, I was feeling really bad and I knew, and I was really out of it. And I knew that I was like in a situation, but I was only three miles from the finish. So I'm like, okay. I can probably make it, even though I clearly had signs that things are going wrong with my body. The first one was that, like, I felt like a warm liquid on my legs, like, and I realized I was peeing, but I had no sensation of pee. Um, that was weird. Oh, yeah, that, that's weird. That that's was a good, sign. Yeah. And then the next thing that happened was, like, a few, like, half a mile later after that or so, I, instead of, like, falling, I feel like I've told the story recently, so I apologize if it's on the podcast, but instead of, like, I clearly, what was happening is I was falling over. But instead, my experience was that the pavement was moving towards my face. <laughs> like, and, nice. then, and then I have like a blackout period. And then I get and then like the ambulance guy comes. And then anyway, he walks in with me for the to like the next day. I actually walk it in in like 11 hours or something. But that was kind of a funny one. Then another one was a similar like my very first Ironman. Anyone who, who wants to feel good about a first Ironman gone wrong should hear this story. I like... I got hyponatremia before I knew what hyponatremia was like, this is 2003, right? I was not educated about salt intake. I didn't right. know about electrolytes and I was out on the bike at Ironman Wisconsin and I had spent a hot summer training in France and I basically was seriously hyponatremic, probably even going into the race and I blacked out and fell off my bike. Um, and then I remember like, I remember waking up to like it was something out of a movie where there's like a dog licking my face you know i'm in like the middle of nowhere oh nice yeah nice. in like wisconsin like farmlands um anyway so that was my that was my first iron man and i ended up in the ambulance um and then another one like this is this is probably more akin to Lindsay's. although if there had been an in and out burger right there i probably would have done what Lindsay did but like in kona one year I was really overtrained. It was 2014. So I had like, I had won two Ironmans. I trained really hard for Kona and like, I just had that big breakthrough year. And I just like, I had trained too hard and I came in overcooked and I'm just out on the Queen K and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> that was it. Like, I just was like, I'm done. 
And I just turned around instead of walking the other way back towards. And I think I walked like See, I walked back to like Lava Java and sat and had a burger. So not too far. That's the, uh, when I was thinking about this and I was like, have I ever just like, whenever I've decided, all right, that's what I'm done. It's not, it's not been funny. Right. It's not been like, oh, and then I walked and I, it's been like, all right, now I have to hike six miles back <laughs> right. to my car. Right. And it's like this slow, like, like crawl sob because like once, cause usually I feel like when you're like, oh, like I'm done, shit's going badly. Either you black, like either like, you know, you are cognizant enough to think I don't have another way to get back. I guess I should keep riding my bike. Right. Or you're not cognizant enough to think that. And you just like are out of your done. And then it's like an ambulance or a, someone else resolves yeah. the situation for you. Right. Like there's not really so the times when it's been like something in between. And then you're like, all right, now I guess I'm walking three miles back. Right. Like that's not, that's just sort of like, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's although fun. like I, you know, I think for like in Lindsay's case, like if in those times, if there had been an in and out burger, would you have gone into it? That's what I was thinking too. Cause like how many times have there been races where we did pass your hotel or your, where you were staying like three or four times. And honestly, like I've never wanted to stop. Like that actually never occurs to me. Right. When there, it's not like, Oh yeah, I just, I'm just going to stop right here. You're just, it's like a thought in the back of your mind, but it's not a real thought. Right. It's like, Oh, that would be nice if that was a thing that we could do, but we're not right. You don't even really like, you don't. Yeah. And I, I think know. that's more to the point is like, if you get, if you're in the middle of a race and you get to that point where you're like, you just know, like, I, like when I stepped off the course in Kona, like I had already been walking a significant right. distance, right? Like I had been walking. I knew that I wasn't going to start running again. Like I was having issues. So I knew, and I also knew that I would like, I had finished, right. you know, I'd finished six Konas, right? I was like, I'd done like 40 Ironmans or something. Like there was no, you know, there's was, was like finishing was not a thing. Right. So I just knew I'm like, well, it's over. Like the race is over. And I think whether it's whether sometimes we beat ourselves up more when it's happening, when it feels like that's happening on the mental side, but the physical and mental work so closely together that like, especially in retrospect, I realized very quickly, like I was totally overtrained and it 100% was a physical thing. And I don't just like start walking on courses for no reason at all. I definitely, if I had gone in fresh and ready, I would have continued running. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, like, it's an interesting question for sure where you're at that line. I don't know. It's obviously, yeah, the mental physical, like where you're, it's a weird thing. Cause it's, uh, yeah, you can, I do see people bail and I know I bail when you could have kept going when like, you're definitely just copping out and getting the ice cream or, you know, calling them like being like, Oh, I like, you're like waving the med to people on, but yeah, it's also probably you did that for some other larger yeah, reason. I, think, I don't know. Honestly, like in, uh, in my, I guess, 15, 14 year career, I probably had about six DNFs and like all of them had a, the one. Oh, well, I've had more than that. <laughs> the one, It's six in iron. Yeah, six. Yeah, six. The, the one that didn't, the one where I felt like I could have kept going is the one that haunted me. But the other five mm -hmm. completely did not. So that's the thing, right? That's the line and how, how you decide that out on the course. I don't know. Um, yeah. I gotta tell you though, usually I would not, I like usually out on the course, I like, there's something in the back of my head that's like, well, you're in the middle of wherever you are, right. Farm fields in Wisconsin, middle of Brazil, Peru, whatever. And you're like, there's not, if you're cognizant enough not to black out, you're like, 
it's going to be right. shitty as fuck to get back. Yeah. Right. Like that's in the back of your head. Like there's not a like, Oh, I'm going to walk into an ice cream store or an in and out. There's like, yeah. Oh crap. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I stop now. So, so keep that in mind guys. And if you're not running by an in and out, usually it's a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. I also think, yeah, so. I mean, this is kind of a depressing topic, right? And we've gone, we've gone really far down this road, but I, I, I think <laughs> that a lot of people like beat themselves up too much about dnfing like i i honestly think like people like once it's done it's done like just forget about it and move forward or let it fuel you like let your anger towards like not being properly prepared for that race for whatever reason it was to finish then fuel you to the next one because that worked that used to work for me right i always knew have you ever seen there's like an ad it's a reebok ad all the greats have short memories um, it's pretty good. Everyone should go Google it. It's pretty funny, but this is the whole, all the greats of short memories. And they're like, well, what do you do after a bad yeah. game? Never had a bad game. Exactly. Doesn't happen. Right. It's that. Yeah, totally. That and also, so. no, Never I, don't yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, just before we move on from the Ironman Arizona conversation, I want to give a shout out to Jess Cooper. She actually writes the show notes for this podcast and for, um, Iron Women. And she had a PR of 1037 out there. So she totally crushed it. Okay, after the break, the NBC Kona coverage comes out this weekend, and we're going to talk about that. We would like to thank Noon Hydration for supporting the podcast. Get 30% off your order by using the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. That's IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. At If We Were Riding on all the social medias and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, tell your actual friends in person how awesome we are, because that works too. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our marvelous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the titty to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. But Kelly, do you watch the Kona coverage every year? I always watch the Kona coverage. If I'm already off seasoning, as discussed before, I'll have like a a party, a drinking game. Uh, Ooh, nice. Okay, give me a season. give me a good drinking but game. I still What's have a good one more game? week. I know. Well, okay. So this is the funniest thing a friend told me, and I put it in the newsletter a couple weeks ago. He told like told me that one year he had a party. And they, and he has a Ventum bike. And so he was like, okay, we're going to drink every time they say Ventum. Only he didn't realize Ventum was sponsoring the bike course. So obviously every time they, they say, the announcers say the, you know, Kona coverage, the Ventum bike course brought to you by Ventum. They were like, shit. So everyone ended Hilarious. up very, very drunk on accident. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, but I don't think I'm going to have a party this weekend, unfortunately, because I have one more race. I do love watching the coverage, though, partially to see if you see anyone you know, and partially because it's, like, amazingly hilarious that this is, like, how the world views our sport. Because how the world views our sport is either you, like, set a world record or you have an incurable disease. Right. Like, those are your two options. Yeah, it's There's definitely like weird. I also, I always remember Chris McCormack's take on watching the Kona coverage is, like, you know, you're sitting 
when he was, even when he was doing ITU racing, he's sitting in his air conditioned living room in Australia, watching the coverage going, this is so easy. They're running so slow. It doesn't look that hard. So that, that's like always a right. fight. It's always stuck in my mind. Cause like when you think about it, you're like, oh, there's people biking at an, at a pretty solid, but not too hard pace. Oh, and then they're running like what? Four minute Ks. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like, right, right, right. You're like, that's fine. Yeah, it's hard to convey yeah. like just exactly how much discomfort um, can ensue. <laughs> my, uh, well, my husband did say two things. Is one, before his first Ironman, he said, I just don't see any reason why I can't go nine hours. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> cool. No reason. Can't, can't imagine any reason. And then we were in Kona and I was racing and he was watching and he like got, went for a run, just like a casual. And he was like, oh my God, how do they even expect anyone to <laughs> run in this heat? <laughs> You're like, well exactly impossible exactly so anyway everyone who's not still racing should watch the kona coverage and throw a party for me this weekend you people can tell me to stop my town my crown we know what it takes to be reaching the top we're reaching the top we're reaching the top we know what it takes to be reaching the top